Ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wade Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! This is the Shoeless Goat Podcast. Brent Brown drops the ball! He drops the ball! Three runs will score! You gotta be paping me! What in the hell are you doing? Episode 8 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, Ray Cubs, White Sox, and MLB Podcast. I'm your host, Nick. I am joined again by the first place in the American League, Mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how you doing? Nick, I got to tell you what, the view looks mighty good from up around first place, especially now in the American League. This season, it's been beyond my wildest expectations, and at this point, it just seems like anything else is gravy, which I say with a hint of caution because... If they go on a tailspin, my mood will derail. But for right now, I'm enjoying the time at the top. This hasn't happened in a long time. Soaking it all in. Yeah, I actually didn't know they were in first until I like looked at the standings for a later part of the segment. I was like, oh shit, I'm going to have to deal with Pat today. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different type of feeling this time. It's been the AL Central the last few weeks, but now it's the American League. So in about two weeks' time, we'll be passing the Dodgers. So just get ready for that. John Hayes, be warned. Um, so we had a really great week for not only Cubs and White Sox, but also Bears, because that was an awesome game today, uh, only to be followed <laughs> up by an even, oh, awesome, awesome ending, ending to a yes. game. Yeah. Awesome fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. game. The game itself, horrible to watch. Absolutely brutal aesthetically. But, hey, they got the win. It was an exciting come-from-behind victory. Uh, I wish it was against maybe like the Packers and not a team I was expecting to beat by 50. But, you know, hey, we'll take it. Want to know. They were the underdog in the game. But in, in any case, this is a, uh, a baseball podcast. We won't dwell on that too much, but it's always good for our moods when the Bears win. And also the Cubs and Sox win on Sunday, which is nice, uh, and in exciting fashions as well. So we are going to start the episode like we often do, doing a weekly recap. And, Pat, for obvious reasons, I'm going to make you go first. Yeah, so another pretty good week for the White Sox. Monday was an off day, so did not lose that one. Great start to the week. Tuesday, unfortunately, though, was a 5-4 to four loss to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, looked like a pitcher's duel between Dylan Cease and Joe Musgrove for basically the first half of the game with no scoring coming until the fifth inning. Uh, Musgrove exited after the fourth, which is when the White Sox got going, scoring three runs in the fifth. Madrigal got it going with a double, which was his first extra base hit of the year. T.A. singled, which almost got him in, but Madrigal was thrown out at the plate after blowing through a stop sign, which is a bad mistake to make as a rookie. Uh, Moncada then righted the wrong by bringing in Anderson with a single, and then Yasmani Grandal hit a ball that almost went into the Allegheny to make the game 3-0. Unfortunately, after that, the Pirates got going themselves. They got two back off Dylan Cease with a double from Josh Bell, a triple from Cabrian Hayes, and a single from Kevin Newman in the fifth. Uh, Sox got one more run in the eighth, but then the Pirates answered right back with two more of their own off of Evan Marshall to tie it. In the ninth, things looked good when Madrigal hit a one-out double, but he was thrown out at third again in a pretty bad base running mistake on a Tim Anderson grounder to the left side. Uh, Pirates then led off the bottom of the ninth with hits from Polanco and Bell. Jimmy Cordero came in through a wild pitch that got the runners over and then intentionally walked Cabrian Hayes. Uh, Next batter, he got a dribbler to the mound that seemed to work, but then Yasmani Grandal forgot to catch the ball at home, which gave the Pirates the walk-off victory uh, in very discouraging fashion. 
However, after that, the White Sox looked to play pretty angry on Wednesday with an 8-1 victory. Dane, Dun- get- Dane Dunning getting the start for the White Sox and had a huge game in his first career win. Six innings, three hits, no earned, and three strikeouts. Sox offense got the job done early and off in the back end with James McCann getting it going with a solo shot in the third. Uh, they then scored four runs in the fourth, which was capped by a two-RBI single from Nick Madrigal. And then McCann hit his second home run of the game in the sixth. Mankata getting it to 8-0 with a du- RBI double of his own. Pirates were able to uh, get a run in the top of the eighth, bottom of the eighth, I'm sorry, they were the home team, off a James McCann catcher's interference, so James McCann was just creating runs for everybody on Wednesday night, um, Sox and Pirates. But the White Sox left Pittsburgh with splitting the series, giving them a 3-1 series win over the Pirates on the season. Thursday was then an off day, the last off day of the White Sox for the season before a brutal sprint of 17 games in 17 days uh, to close out the year. And Friday, they started off their last series of the year against the Detroit Tigers, winning 4-3. It was a good pitching matchup on paper, at least, with Lucas Giolito Giolito facing Casey Mize. And both pitchers held the offenses scoreless until the sixth, where all of the game scoring took place. Mize actually had a no-hitter until the sixth, which... uh, it was not a good sign for the White Sox offense, but hey. Uh, Tigers got three in the sixth with a sack fly off Giolito and then a two-RBI single from Daz Cameron, after which Giolito was pulled for Evan Marshall. Sox then came back with four of their own in the bottom half of the inning with Madrigal driving and Nomar Mazzara on a groundout, and then Eloy hitting a three-run homer on a fastball that was about a couple six inches out of the zone at 95 miles an hour that he just pulled all the way to left and blew out of the park. Not much drama after that as the Tigers were held hitless in innings 7-9, and that was all she wrote there. Not the best start from Giolito with 5-2 and two thirds and 7 strikeouts and 4 walks, but hey, uh, every now and then the offense has to get the job done for him after uh, the no-hitter earlier in the year. Saturday was an absolute massacre. No other way to really put a 14-0 victory. Uh, that for a while, it looked like the Bears were not even going to score that much against a Detroit team, so... Uh, Definitely a good offensive game. Looked to be an offensive shootout both ways, though, with Reynaldo Lopez getting his first start back from Schaumburg, but he held his own in a very underrated part of the game that was really lost in the shuffle, but I'll get to that later. Um, Sox got after the Tigers pitching early and often, scoring three in the first with Abreu, Eloy, and Edwin and Carnacion all driving in runs, and then Nomar Mazzara added two more with a double in the third. Uh, Jose Abreu then decided to start playing like Babe Ruth again, hitting three run homers in the fourth and the fifth innings, at which point the game was 12-0 and thoroughly in hand. When it was all said and done, the Sox had 14 hits and 19 runs, with Tim Anderson leading the way uh, along with Jose Abreu. Anderson had four hits, and Abreu was four for four with five runs, seven RBIs, and two home runs, putting up a pretty good two-week span in one night. Like I said, Lopez was had a very underappreciated start with five innings, three hits, and no earned. Obviously, it was against the Tigers team, but hey, he has to start somewhere after a few rough outings to start this season. Uh, Sunday, another win for the White Sox to sweep the Tigers in the last meeting of the year. Uh, 5-2 victory with Jonathan Stever making his debut for the White Sox. He did walk the first two batters and looked a little shaky, but got out of the inning with only one run allowed. And then it was all White Sox. Moncada had an RBI double in the second to tie it. Eloy had a solo shot in the fourth to take the lead for good, and then the White Sox got three more for good measure in the fifth on RBIs from Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, and Eloy. Uh, Tigers scored one in the ninth, at which point Colome was put in for the struggling Steve Ceshek and slammed the door. 
And the White Sox, again, closed out the week, sweeping the Tigers, uh, ended the week at 4-1, four, four in a row to end the week. And after this point in the season, they are 18-2 and two against the Tigers and the Royals, which wraps up those two teams, which winning, I don't care how bad they are, winning 90% of your games against two teams in your division is pretty damn good. They're now 30-16, and 16, first place in the AL Central, and in position for the one seed in the American League, the best run differential by a team not named the Los Angeles Dodgers in baseball with plus 77. And... Things are just looking good in general. There's really no other way to put it at this point in the year. Yeah, you can't get much better than that. It doesn't matter who you're playing. It's a Major League Baseball team, so to get 18 wins out of 20 games is pretty insane. A few things. One, I think they brought the Tigers brought up Casey Mize too early. Uh, but then I was almost proven wrong by his uh, almost <laughs> no-hitter bi- uh, bid, which uh, may have been broken up by a tweet by the White Sox main account where they, I think, tweeted over and over again, Casey Mize has a no-hitter through yep. six, like five or six times. Question for you, is this classless? Is this gamesmanship? And did it work? I think, I mean, I'd say the proof is in the pudding that it worked. Um, you know, the, the whole the whole organization on the field, uh, scouting, whatever, social media, they're all on deck here. It's all hands on deck this season. But, hey, I don't, I'm not going to say it's classless. It's probably against some unwritten rule, unwritten rule, and Ned Yost is probably upset about it. But, hey, that's just how these things go. I could only imagine what if if the White Sox DMs were open, what they looked like after oh, God. Mize gave up the... Gave up a couple hits, let alone a couple runs. <laughs> Ron Gardenhire is going to go up there and confront whoever runs the Twitter account. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, great week for the White Sox. They got a little help from uh, Tampa and the A's uh, having yep. middling weeks. But that's what you do when you're one of the one of the one of the best teams in baseball. Let's not go too far. Um, but in any case, give it, it a few was, weeks. Yeah, exactly. We'll get there. Season, we we got a little bit of season left. Um, what if it comes down to? Cubs White Sox series for the number one seed. I mean, I that'd be the crazy. Cub, the Cubs are are not in, and uh, I think the Cubs are fighting for that two seed with the Braves. So it would really be interesting to see that last series of the year at Guaranteed Rate Field to decide some important seeding. I think both teams are pretty much locked up the playoffs. Yeah, uh, it's just a matter of winning your division and getting that good seeding so you can get that um, that home field advantage for those uh, that those three game playoffs. Yeah, although getting the one seed looks like it might be against the Yankees now, which fully healthy Yankees team is the eight seed would be a hell of a prize. But hey, uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So when I looked an hour ago, it was the Indians. So um, a, oh great, that uh, rotation. Yeah, well another Cle- a Clevengerless. Uh, True. Indian, and I also I bet against Shane Bieber in favor of Kenta Maeda and got the win this week. So um, he got his first loss, and I got my first gambling win in a long time. So that helped. Hey, I mean, as long as Shane Bieber's getting taken down, we need him out of the AL MVP race. Yeah, I'm. What's your thoughts on like pitchers getting the MVP, even with the Cy Young Award being a thing? I, I don't. So I wouldn't say I'm the type of person that says absolutely no pitcher, but because they already kind of have their own de facto MVP in the Cy Young, it has to be a truly transcendent season, which. In my opinion, in a 60-game season when they're only going to pitch about 12 times, it's not going to get to that. Like, I'm talking like Justin Verlander back in what year was that, 2012, when he had just a ridiculous season. Like, a year like that, sure, when you're like, I don't know, like 10 more or whatever the hell it is. But when you're playing 12 times in a season, I just I don't think that represents the MVP. Obviously, they're eligible to win, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it in this type of season. Yeah, like if Jake Arrieta, instead of it being amazing half season in 2015, it was the full season. Like Yeah, then, of course. 
then it's then it's in the conversation. Then it's not a gimme, you know. What I'm saying, yeah. but in a, I agree. In a shortened season, when you're only playing a fifth of the whole overall schedule, you're probably pitching 11 to 13 games. I just I don't too small it. of a sample size. It's not like you're keeping it up over like 35-ish starts. Um, speaking of MVP, I mean, we're getting off tangent, which is totally fine. Um, Jose Abreu looks to be the leading candidate for the AL MVP at the moment. And there are mumblings of Trout uh, getting it again and, and things like that. But I'm going to make the argument that like the most valuable player like for his team is 100% Jose Abreu in the American League. Yeah, I like I, I don't know. Mike Trout, yeah, he's having a good year. but And I hate being that, well, the team has to win. But if your team is very clearly out of the playoffs in a season where over half the league is making the playoffs, you can't win the MVP. Like, I hate being that old man yelling from my porch, but, like, that's, I mean, come on. Like, and, I mean, Abreu, it's like when he started this whole transition from being a good offensive player at the beginning of the year to be a freaking like, Babe Ruth uh, reincarnation is really when the White Sox took off. He's had big hit after big hit, and I, like, it's just, it seems like whenever he goes is when the team starts taking off again, so... I don't know. I just maybe we'll see how the last quarter of the season goes. Tim Anderson is also up there for the White Sox, as is Shane Bieber. Chapman's done for the year, so that hurts his candidacy, obviously. And then you have uh, I don't know, maybe uh, Nelson Cruz. But at this point, I think if the White Sox finish in first, it has to be Jose Abreu. The fear is that he splits votes with Tim Anderson from Midwest uh, and Central Division voting uh, writers, I guess. Uh, Because that happened one time with uh, Lester and Hendricks. Um, I think it was when Grinke won a Cy Young with the Dodgers. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's what happened. Where both Lester and Hendricks had great seasons, but they split the vote. Uh, much like when Chris Bryant won the MVP and Charlie Blackman and Nolan Arenado were splitting votes, having way better numbers than, um, than Bryant. Brian got it because they didn't, you know, that whole West Coast couldn't decide between Blackman and Arenado. Well, I guess, uh, I mean, if, I don't know, if either one of them wins it, I'll be fine. But I just think with the counting stats Abreu is going to have over the course of the year, unless, I don't know, maybe Tim Anderson messes around and hits 400. I don't know. He's at like 360 right now. So it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Yeah. And I mean, Ian Happ has fallen off in the NL MVP race, but he's still uh, probably going to be a top five guy. If he had kept pace with the highest OPS in the league, uh, there's an argument to be made that he is, he wouldn't pass Tatis, but there's an argument to me to possibly give a couple votes to Ian Happ because he is more important to the Cubs than Tatis is to the Padres because the Cubs bats have been really struggling besides Ian Happ at Jason Hayward. So like, He's definitely the Cubs MVP yeah. for his team, and the Cubs are not a first-place team without the contributions of yeah. Hap, I don't think. Which is the interesting point of the award, because it's not, like, I don't want to be that the team has to win. Again, I've said that, but it's it, it's most valuable, not best player. Like, that's it's a, it, there is a difference. It may not be a huge one, but it is a, it is a qualifier. Well, yeah, and Jose Abreu with Tim Anderson and, and company have turned a what we both deem to be a fringe playoff team into the best uh, record in the American League. Yep. So... What does that count for? Whereas Mike Trout uh, and company, I should say, have like below expectations. They were expected to also be a fringe playoff yep. team, especially with the new rules, be a playoff team, and are nowhere near. Yep. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in baseball. I mean, so. you could give Mike Trout's like LeBron. You could give him the MVP any year, but in this year, I just don't see how that that would yeah. make sense. I don't like the argument that the, oh, he's won so many times before. No, it doesn't matter. You can win as no. many times as you want. Like, yep. if you're that good, you keep winning. Anyway. Uh, we got off off track there, but that's totally okay. Um, we're going to do Cubs recap right now. Uh, starting with Monday was the final of a five-game series against the Cardinals because they had to do a couple uh, doubleheaders. Um, 
Kyle Hendricks takes the mound and goes eight innings pitched, one earned with four strikeouts. The Cubs have a 5-1 to one victory, rather easy. Uh, RBI is coming from Contreras, Rizzo, and Kipnis. Tuesday, they play the Cincinnati Reds, and a 3 nothing victory to start off that series with Alex Mill, Alec Mills going six innings pitched, no earn, and striking out six. Arguably the best start of his, uh, of his Cubs tenure to this point. Um, in the second, Bodie tripled to right, uh, scoring two over Castellanos' head. And in the third inning, Baez tripled to right over Castellanos' head, scoring another one, the 3 nothing victory. Jeffress getting the save. The uh, defensive woes of Nick Castellanos really reared their head in this game, uh, something that Cubs fans didn't see uh, when he was on the team because uh, he never really had the opportunity to fuck up out there. Uh, Wednesday, it was a great pitching matchup. Uh, you Darvish versus Trevor Bauer. Darvish goes six innings, gives up three, uh, nine strikeouts and three walks. He did give up a three-run homer to Mike Moustakis in the first inning, and that was the only scoring of the game as the Cubs go down three to nothing. Trevor Bauer was phenomenal, going seven and two-thirds, giving up no runs. Uh, he took to Twitter, as he often does afterwards, talking about what many uh, central teams have been talking about, is how loud the Cubs' dugout is during games and how boisterous and, and loud and you know edgy they are. Pretty much uh, summing it up saying it was really, I, you know, it was really interesting to see the Cubs remain focused on cheering even when they're taking it up the ass all game, something like that. And I don't know. It was just kind of weird to me, the wording, I guess, he used. Yeah, the Cubs were loud and they lost 3 nothing, but they were still obviously in his head because he was tweeting about it afterwards. I just want to further say that I kind of love how the, the guys that are doing the most talking, Yelich, Bauer, and Braun, are the like guys that are most likely not going to be making the playoffs in a season where everybody makes the playoffs. So you kind of love to see that. So you take the loss, but uh, it was uh, you know the offense didn't show up, and Yu Darvish still looked pretty good, got the quality start, so no big deal. Uh, Thursday was a bullpen game. Uh, Alzali uh, goes three and two thirds, uh, three earned runs. Uh, Cubs had five runs at the fifth, um, and then with a Horner double to score two, and then Hap hits a single into the shift, um, a ground ball single, legs it out, and Horner scores from second base in doing so. Um, so, and then a, a Anthony Rizzo RBI as well. So the Cubs take the final game of the Red Series and win the series um, two games to one. Friday, they head up to Milwaukee uh, to face the Brewers. John Lester takes the mound. He had a, almost a six ERA going into this game. So the questions of his ability to continue to pitch at a high level were definitely uh, in question, but he proved us all wrong. Lester goes six inning pitch, gives up three hits and no earned runs. Unfortunately, the Cubs offense was nowhere to be found as Brandon Woodruff uh, pitches like the supposed ace that he is, getting 12 strikeouts, tying a career high. On uh, the ninth inning, uh, Yelich walked. This is Rowan Wick pitching. Yelich walked, and then a, um, a single uh, right after that, so it's first and third, and then Ryan Braun, uh, sack fly to center, game over. Uh, David Ross, doing the best he could to imitate Joe Madden, bringing five infielders in. Uh, it was not to be, though. They take the one nothing loss. At least they didn't lose at the hands of a dumb uh, extra innings rule. Uh, Saturday was uh, somewhat more of the same for the Cubs offense, so to speak. Hendricks, uh, seven and two-thirds, two earned, and seven K usually is good enough to get you the win. Not in this case, as the bats didn't come alive until uh, quite, quite a bit later. The only runs... Uh, the Cubs got came in the ninth inning. So in the ninth, uh, Baez single. Rizzo comes in to pinch hit, and he also gets a single, so you first and third. Jason Hayward uh, comes up, 
off of Hader and hits a home run, an unlikely one at that to take the 3-2 lead. And then uh, Vasquez, the new second baseman signing, uh, from uh, who's a former Diamondback, comes in, hits a home run in the ninth as well off Hader. So two home runs off Hader to get the 4-2 victory to even up the series uh, with the Brewers. So big win there. Not nearly as big as Sunday's game. Um, and to keep it simple, it was a 12-0 victory, but that was the, the, the Cubs offense really coming out to play had truly nothing to do with the game itself. Um, it was the story of Alec Mills, former Tommy John, uh, DFA'd by the Royals, arguably the, um, the last man out of the rotation until Quintana gets hurt at the beginning of the season. He goes nine innings pitched, gives up f- uh, five, gets five strikeouts, three walks, and no hits. He no hits the Milwaukee Brewers, um, just over 110 pitches at Miller Park. Uh, the last no-hitter by the Cubs since Jake Arrieta's in 2016 against the Cincinnati Reds. Um, gets it at Miller Park, which is where Carlos Zambrano got his no-hitter, but it was against the Astros, surprisingly enough, at Miller Park. So the only neutral site no-hitter. And, uh, you know, just a great story all around. The only two pitchers to throw no-hitters this season are, of course, Lucas Giolito and now Alec Mills. Uh, his post-game interview, we all found out for the first time that Alec Mills looks and talks like Napoleon Dynamite, so you can't uh, you can't hate a guy <laughs> like that. But in any case, it would have been great if it was a one nothing win, it was a 12 nothing win. Either way, the Cubs, with a no-hitter, obviously win the series against the Brewers. Um, so they get a win against the Cardinals, they take two of three of the Reds, they take two of three of the Brewers, and now they have a commanding lead of the Central with, as we said, only a few games left. So you love to see it. You love to see a guy like Alec Mills getting a Philip Umber-esque uh, type of start in the sense that no one ever expected this to, to happen, and it did. Just shows kind of the randomness of baseball and how if you have good stuff one day, you can literally yep. shut down uh, you know, a decent lineup. That's a, that's what I love about the whole concept of the no-hitter perfect game is you get a guy that literally, like, no offense to Alec Mills, but has no business being remembered in the history of baseball, and now he's always going to be there. Like, you're always going to remember the no-hitters that happened during your lifetime, which is, like you said, just it's it's pretty cool. Um, I, I also just point this out, with the White Sox in first in the AL, sweeping the Tigers, the Cubs getting a no-hitter from Alec Mills, and the Bears with that come-from-behind victory. Can you remember a single better day in Chicago sports in recent memory? Outside, I'm not talking like Cubs win the World Series, like just overall across that breadth of teams, because I, I can't come up with anything. If only uh, the Bulls, like, hired... <laughs> they fired the Boylan today? Well, no, yeah, exactly. Or I was going to say rehire Thibodeau yeah. or something like that. <laughs> That, that would be the only way that this day could be better for Chicago sports. I was so I, I was so ready to wake up tomorrow and hear Bears fans bitching on the score. Oh, yeah. Like, I was so – like, whenever the Bears lose, that's, like, at least a nice little oh, bit. Oh, it's hilarious. It's so funny. And we're still going to get the bitching, but, like, it's so spread out now. Like, the, yep. the there's so much to talk about, uh, even for us. So, no, uh, to answer your question, no, I haven't seen anything like that. Um, and yeah, Alec Mills, you're you're right. He's not. He wasn't going to be. He's immortalized in baseball history yep. now, um, which is insane to think about. Much like much like a Philip Umber, where yep. um, you didn't expect anything like that, or or if you will, a Nick Anton with a ball, perfect game. <laughs> and that's I mean that's the thing with those is you get Nolan Ryan throwing seven, however many co- co- uh, Sandy Koufax threw, Mark Burley, who was a pretty damn good pitcher, threw two, a no hitter in a perfect game, and then you get the Philip Umbers and the Alec Mills of the world, and the uh, well. 
I guess uh, Galarragas doesn't count, but you know, it's stuff like that where it's just like you get the great players that do it, and then you get the guys that just, on for whatever reason, on that day were able to pull it off. So, love me some no hits. Yeah, I mean, we had I think only one last year in a 162 game season yep. with was it? No, maybe it was two years ago. It was Manias? Yeah, it yep. was two years ago. So, was there even one last year? I, it's hard uh, the only one that comes to mind is the, the Angels, the Tyler Skaggs one, the uh, the, right. the combined no hitter. Yeah, the combined really pitch no hitter. That, that was a pretty cool moment. Too. Yeah. Um, but in any case, great week. Topped it off. The big cherry on top with a no hitter. That was the thing, actually. I think uh, for Sant Chicago, we put out a, a graphic who will have the Cubs next no hitter, and Alec Mills obviously wasn't even on <laughs> <laughs> the graphic, of course. So. Bullets and board material. Yeah, you know exactly. My vote was for Darvish, and that still might happen. Who's to say? Because uh, Darvish had um, a no-hitter going pretty late against the Cardinals uh, last week, as we talked about. But in any case, we've been talking quite a bit about, um, obviously, the upcoming playoffs. There's less than a month of baseball left. It looks like the Cubs and Sox will both be representing Chicago. Um, so, as we mentioned last week, it's a best-of-three in a one-seed-to-eight-seed format. So right now, if the season were to end... Uh, Sox, obviously, as we said, are the one seed playing the Indians, and the Cubs are the three seed playing the Cardinals. Um, so, Pat, my question to you is, how does the White Sox rotation shake out um, in a three-game playoff series against, let's just say, the Indians or the Yankees? Okay. So what I'm going to go with here, um, not really paying as much attention to the opponent, like trying to match up with them, but assuming Dallas Keigel's okay to pitch once he's off the I.L., um, assuming Lucas Giolito is fine then, it, like basically assuming health is ideal for this franchise and assuming the players are rested, I can piece them in however I want. I mean, Giolito and Keuchel are in there automatically. Th- those are your one, two guys. It, I mean, if you, I'd start either one, but if you held a gun to my head, I would put Keuchel game one. I just think he has the playoff experience pitching in the world series and nothing against Giolito as good as he's been, but there have been some games where that big first inning opening day comes to mind where it's just been, for whatever reason, he teams hit him hard early. He settles down after that, but in a playoff series, you can't really have that. So I want the guy that has the experience taking the ball game one, but if it works out the other way, whatever, it's fine. Game three is where things get interesting because it's basically coming down to Dylan Cease, Dane Dunning, uh, Carlos Rodon, if he's healthy, or Gio Gonzalez. I'm not even going to entertain the thought of Reynaldo Lopez. Um <laughs> Uh, what I would do is I would go at this moment in time with Dane Dunning. He has looked much more consistent than Dylan Cease. Cease has better stuff, but for whatever reason, he's winning games, but he's not striking guys out. He's not throwing with command consistently, and you just can't have that in a playoff game three. That could potentially be a winner-go-home game. In the, round, in the first round, it very well would be. Um, in, a, in another round, it may be keeping the fire from getting too big. So I'd go Dane Dunning. I think he's at least good to get through four innings. And then if you need somebody after that, honestly, I would go with Gio Gonzalez as like a back half of the opener type situation. But nothing against Dylan Cease, but I just don't quite have that faith yet. Whereas I think Dane Dunning, his skill set plays a bit more to just getting through innings without, you know, trying to overpower people with stuff and getting uh, shaken off by bad command. So that's how I would line up the rotation. Yeah, I was definitely thinking Keiko won simply because he's more of a ground ball pitcher. Yep. And I think you can totally get a team like way out of their rhythm when they just keep grounding under the shortstop. 
Yeah, and I think I think Keuchel, if you get that in game one to kind of put the tone on the series where their offense isn't getting going, then you have Giolito come in there as the strikeout pitcher. I think that would be much more effective than uh, the other way around. But again, either way, those two are great. I don't, you can't really go wrong either way. Yeah, that brings up an interesting question with, with the Cubs' possible rotation decision. This is why I wouldn't want, these are the situations in which I wouldn't want to be a Major League Baseball manager. Uh, so yeah, like as of right now, they're playing the Cardinals. Uh, with that being said, Kyle Hendricks is the Cardinals' daddy. He always has been. Um, so do you start him game one, or do you go with you Darvish, who is throwing, you know, 96 to 98 miles an hour, and then come back and throw him off with Kyle Hendricks in game two? It's really a tough question, but it gets to be an even tougher question when you get to the third start. Obviously, Alec Mills is coming off of a no-hitter and a six innings of no uh, no runs uh, in the previous game, so he is probably the Cubs' hottest pitcher right now. Do you put him at three and just not even talk about John Lester in game three? Like, I mean, the way the season's been shaking out, that's got to be something you have to consider. But then again, John Lester just went six and gave up no earned runs as well. So I don't know who I would put yeah. in a game three situation, and especially a do or die game three situation. Do you do you go with that playoff experience? Do you go with that World Series experience in John Lester, or do you go with the hot hand with Alec Mills, or do you do yeah. both? I mean, do you short leash yeah. Lester? I I mean, I'd probably try to take the middle road and do that because, like you said, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you start Lester and it works, it's going to be, oh, he, Ross went to the old workhorse, the guy that knew what he was doing. If Lester gets blown off the face of the earth, it's going to be, why the hell were you pitching a soft-tossing lefty that's cooked? Like, it's, yeah. you, you can't really win. I would love to, um, I would love to, like, have them start Lester for the first three batters as an opener. And have the lineup set to to beat Lester, and then yeah. you bring in Mills. Yeah, just that would be like really, you know, some some really big brain moves there. But probably something that John Lester wouldn't be too happy about. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think he'd want to give up the ball. Just be like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, well, that's that's you know, we saw we saw Lester get pulled in the beginning of the season with a no hitter going. So yeah, you know, David Ross isn't afraid to do that. So thank God for that. But we'll see what it's like in the playoffs. I mean, John Lester's been. You know, one of the best Cubs of all time. Honestly, if we're gonna we're gonna go that route, probably in the top ten. Uh, so to to not give him the ball in a game three winner take all situation mo- against you know the Cardinals, be an interesting interesting yep. decision to see. Hopefully, it doesn't get to game three because I will be pissing myself uh, in a game <laughs> three scenario, and I think you would too. Absolutely. Um, so, I haven't seen playoff baseball in twelve years, so I do not know how I'm gonna react when it gets here. Yeah, I mean, you were how old were you the last time? So we lad in fourteen, freshman year of high school. Freshman in high school. Much man. different phase of life. Yeah, no kidding. We were. I, I remember freshman high, year of high school. We were always in the, the the balcony of the gym and just like screaming about Cubs, Sox, baseball. And you and you and me, not specifically, just like everybody was just yeah. like constantly fighting about who's better in these two bad teams. You know. Yeah. Now it's just playful uh, ribbing. Oh, so we do every week now, as opposed to you know, every day before. We're weaning off of it every day. Exactly, you got to pick. Yeah. You got to pick your battles now. Absolutely. Um, so picking battles doesn't. It's not a good segue, but we're going to go there anyway. Um, the next segment, of course, being the. Actually, you know, we're not going to go LinkedIn player profile yet. Obviously, we have to do player of the week. You already know my answer. Go ahead, Pat. We'll do White Sox first. Yes. So this one was a tough decision. There were basically two players I was considering. It's Eloy Jimenez and Jose Abreu. They both had two home runs on the week, but 
I, I went with Eloy. I think Jose, it was close, but most of his damage was done in that 14 nothing win, which I hate being this guy, but if you take his seven RBIs out of that game, they still win 7 nothing. So, and I've already given it to him like four times this year, so I'm happy to give it to somebody else for this week. So, Eloy Jimenez is this week's player of the game, player of the week. Uh, he had two go-ahead home runs on Friday and Sunday that were in pivotal moments to give the team a lead in a close game that they never gave back, and I think that's pretty much enough to push him over the edge. On the week, he hit 450, had a 900 slugging percentage, like I mentioned, two home runs, six RBIs, and three doubles. He now has 13 homers on the year and is hitting over 300 and is really off to a really good, really good year. Um, kind of lost behind the MVP-like performances of Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu, but I think without Aloy Jimenez's contributions this week, they might not win all of the games they did. So for that reason, uh, I'm giving it to him with Jose Abreu and basically my 1B position. No, totally get that. Makes sense. Um, obviously, you know where I'm going with this. Uh, he had such a good start uh, to start the week. And he was scheduled for two starts, so he got the Alec Mills, of course, gets the win. If he had gotten a second win, it didn't matter how he got it. I probably still would have had him at least second, if not first, in the uh, Player of the Week uh, candidacy. But the no-hitter, as you said, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. If you throw a no-hitter, you get Player of the Week. Obviously, it goes to Alec Mills. But yeah, two wins, um, two very important wins, too, um, to assure you know series victories. So, yeah, Alec Mills, you get the no-no, you get the player of the week. Simple as yep. that. One of the unwritten rules of the Shoeless Goat podcast, I don't care if you give up 45 runs and one-third of an inning your next start, you get, yeah, you get no-hitter or perfect game player of the week. Just just already make the graphic, it's done. Would love to see a uh, manager's patience in the 45 <laughs> runs given up. Hey, somebody's got to wear it. We saw some similar uh, situations in the uh, Crosstown Centurion. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and we also saw scores like that this week yeah. with uh, the Braves over the Marlins. Was it 29-9? And yeah. the Brewers won 19 to nothing. Same day. just in, Absolutely. Like, the White Sox won 14 to nothing, and that was maybe the, like, fourth most lopsided game of the week. Yeah. Uh, did they break a record for, like, runs scored in the MLB for a day? Because you'd have to think it's close because there's a bunch of double headers too. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, I, it had to be up there. I mean, 29, I think, is what? one. I think the record's 30 in a game for a single team. Um, I knew it was close. I knew it was a, a National League record, I think. Gotcha, gotcha. sure those but. old A's or Yankees teams put up crazy numbers. Who knows? Just playing some overmatched team with that's being paid like league minimum because the owner lost all their money gambling. Yeah, exactly. He traded away uh, his shortstop <laughs> for a like a, a delicious pie or something like that. <laughs> I mean, hey, the Red Sox sold Babe Ruth so he could fund his Broadway shows. Yeah, exactly. Or there was a there was a player I don't even know. I mean, we should we should bring back the uh, you know we 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 were talking about this segment in the offseason. We never did it like our 1800s player of the week. Yeah. But in any case, there was definitely <laughs> a player traded away for a turkey and also oh, yeah. a bag of bats. So this, hey, you need equipment, man. It's, it, bats aren't cheap. I know. We're just going to send this man across country so we can get eight pieces of finely <laughs> crafted wood. That's worth about, like, five starts of a mid-rotation guy. You'd think. All right. Without further ado, now we will talk LinkedIn player profile. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's the favorite segment of the show, at least of us anyway. 
uh, the LinkedIn player profiles where we go through the career of an old cub and old white sack using LinkedIn as a primary source. Maybe it'll invoke some fun memories. Maybe you won't remember any of these players at all because mine this week, I've never even heard of this guy, so I had to do some digging. But in any case, uh, Pat, I'm going to go first this week. I think uh, you went first last week. By a fellow by the name of John Gaub, G-A-U-B. He has uh, no losses in his, uh, he's a pitcher, no losses in his MLB career, but he also has no wins, so take that for what you will. Um, a career ERA of 6.75 with three strikeouts. He was a Cub in 2011, and that is the only major league um, action he saw. So not even a cup of coffee, it was like a sip before someone knocked it out of his hands. Uh, but in any case... He's from uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I went to St. Paul High School and then the University of Minnesota. He was drafted uh, out of high school, actually, though, in the 25th round uh, in 2003 by the hometown Minnesota Twins. And he said, no thanks, I'm good. <laughs> went, to, went to college. Um, and he w uh, was drafted 21st round in the 2006 amateur draft um, by the Indians. So he goes, instead of playing for his hometown team in the 25th round, he goes to college plays for Minnesota, and moves up five rounds only to get drafted by the Indians. I don't know if I'd make that same call if I was playing ball and the Cubs wanted to draft me. I don't know. I, I feel like I would just say, yeah, you know, I'll probably just go play professional baseball. I'd go. I'd, I'd screw college. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what makes his career very interesting is not what he did, but who he was traded with, I should say. Uh, he In 2008, he was traded uh, with minor leaguer Chris Archer and Jeff Stevens to the Cubs, for Mark DeRosa, um, and then he did a little bit of time in, um, you know, Tennessee, Iowa Cubs, made his way up with a 225 ERA, uh, and then he made his uh, debut in 2011, where he pitched, like, in two games, and then just never played baseball professionally again, uh, was claimed by the Rays in 2012, Rangers, Cardinals, and then um, in the 2013 season, he turned on an offer for AAA Memphis in favor of returning to his alma mater to get his business marketing degree. Good for him. I think that's a little bit of self-awareness there. Uh, but in any case, after that, he gets his degree in going to his LinkedIn now. He gets his master's degree in 2016-2017. Um, and we go to his LinkedIn profile. It shows all the teams that he played for and the lengths, lengths of time. So two years with the uh, Indians organization, three years with the Cubs, less than a year with the Rays. Uh, two months with the Rangers, nine months with the Cardinals, and then he became a senior instructor at Pitch to Pitch, I guess, during this time exactly, from 2007 to 2014, so uh, he's just doing a couple things while he's working on his MLB career. Uh, it says, the Midwest's largest and most experienced baseball training resource demonstrate and instruct players on proper fundamentals to, <laughs> to aid them in adjusting adjustment making for the game of baseball specializing in pitching and throwing mechanics so someone who did not pitch very long in the majors was teaching people how to pitch at pitch to pitch in any case what is he doing now he's a graduate assistant baseball coach at concordia university st paul so back in minnesota doing baseball doing what he loves not the most exciting linkedin player profile but i found it interesting that he was part of the chris archer deal and also was turning down offers to go back to school and turning down his hometown team to go to school. So he was turning down baseball for school more more often than not. Hey, talk about it. Talk about a fucking nerd. Hey, you know, I, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Maybe he realized what he was missing by not. I don't know. It's just, I, it's, I don't know. You gotta be, you gotta respect a guy that knows that education's important. 
The mind is a beautiful thing to waste. It is. Sharpest tool that uh, we've been given in this life. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> in any case. All right, Pat, who do you got this week? Hopefully so, someone more exciting than John Gaub. Well, I hope you think the same thing. Uh, but in any event, I am going with the tallest player in Major League history, former one-time White Sox pitcher John Rauch, who was 6'11". Uh, which, like I said, tallest player in Major League history. So pretty much, as you'll learn as we're going through this, pretty much everything he did in his career was the tallest player to do X. Um, in any event, he was drafted in the third round by the Sox in the 99 draft, making his debut in 2002. Uh, pitched for the Sox between 2002 and 2004, appearing in 10 games with a 3-2 and record and a 6-5-1 ERA. In late 04, he was then traded to the Expos uh, for previous LinkedIn player profile featurey Jurassic Carl Everett and also Gary Majewski. Uh, he then played in Washington for the Nationals from 2005 to 2008, where he had much greater success uh, than he did with the Sox. 21-15 and 15 record, a 3-2-4 ERA, and 23 saves in 245 total relief appearances. Uh, not all the rest were blown saves. Just want to get that out there. Um, Important. Hey, got, just got to make sure that people know. In any event, in 04, he homered off of Roger Clemens, making him the tallest player to ever hit a home run in Major League Baseball. Like I said, he basically anything he does, he is the tallest player to have done that. And I believe that was his only career hit. So what a hell of, one hell of a way to do it off of who should be a Hall of Famer. Uh, but yeah, uh, traded to the D-backs in 08 for future White Sox legend Emilio Bonifacio. So just the gift that keeps on giving for the White Sox. Uh, bounced around to Minnesota in late 08, where he probably had the best success of his career. In uh, in 76 appearances, he had a 2.82 ERA and saved 21 games for the Twinkies after Joe Nathan went down with an injury. He then bounced around for the rest of his career with stops in a, Toronto in 2011, where I I had never seen this video before, but he there's a, basically a play. The throw goes home. Uh, they're called safe, and it looks like it's a, like it's a close play, but whatever. Then he, it looks like he's fine. Then all of a sudden, the frame goes out, and he is going at the umpire about it, which is terrifying because he's six eleven and like three hundred pounds, and he is trying to get at the umpire. John Farrell, the manager at the time, is holding him back and takes a John Rauch elbow to the chin, which dislocates his jaw. So it's just like one of the most terrifying sequences of events I've ever seen on a baseball field. Uh, so again, another memorable moment in his career. He then went to the Mets in 2012, the Marlins in 2013, and had a few minor league deals here and there before retiring after the 2014 season. So what is Mr. Rauch up to now? He is a former professional athlete at Major League Baseball and is in the Tucson, Arizona area where he, uh, well, let me first, let me get to the out. Uh, he played Major League Baseball for almost 10 years. I love the the, round, the big round numbers. Uh, definitely resume speak with about six more in the minors. He decided to open up a shop, Bullpen Garage, so really play into his previous career, that focuses on modifying and customizing all makes and models of 4x4 vehicles. He has always wrenched on his own personal trucks and decided to turn his hobby into a second career. So, as you probably inferred, he is the self-employed owner of Bullpen Garage in the Tucson area, where he has been for five years and eight months, a custom off-road shop specializing in Jeeps and Ford Raptors, providing all services necessary to customize your vehicle. He was also a professional athlete at Major League Baseball for 14 years and 11 months, playing for the Chicago White Sox, Montreal Expos, Washington Nationals, savvy move there, turning that into two teams, uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. Minnesota Twins, Toronto Blue Jays, New York Mets, Miami Marlins, Baltimore Orioles, and Kansas City Royals. 
studied physics at Moorhead State University, where he was a member of Sigma Phi Epsilon fraternity and the baseball team, as you probably could have guessed. He also has some volunteer experience, which is good to see, 12 years at Ronald McDonald House Charity, so he is definitely a principled man who is now pursuing his passion as a career, something I could, I probably would think all of us hope to do at some point in our lives. So in any event, that's uh, the life and times, who is still alive, just want to make that clear, of John Roush, former White Sox pitcher. There's no way in hell they didn't dress him up as Ronald McDonald. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be horrifying. <laughs> six foot eleven. These little kids and there's He's a six the only eleven one that clown fits in the shoes. Oh my god. That that's <laughs> that's the stuff of nightmares, dude. <laughs> We're getting dark here, but um in any case, yeah. Uh pretty interesting. Probably the tallest baseball player ever to dislocate somebody's jaw as well. Actually, I'm just getting this in from our stats people, and he has the tallest LinkedIn player profile featurey. So another uh, accolade to add to the to the list. Until a se- the first seven footer in the MLB, which would really just be like, why aren't you playing basketball? Ah, uh, you had availed something to be a seven footer playing baseball, unless you just can rear back and throw like one ten. But I don't know. I just don't see the nimbleness off the mound that you need on a grounder. <laughs> No, but I mean, as long as it's within like a quarter mile of you, you're going to be able to reach and get it. Yeah, if he can bend over to get it, though, that's the other issue. True. Imagine Shaq trying to feel the ground ball. That's that's terrifying. Absolutely. Terrifying. That's that's a blown out Achilles waiting to happen. Exactly. So that uh, pretty much concludes uh, episode eight of the Shoeless Cove podcast. Of course, we had the fantastic week on both sides, the no hitter. Uh, Pat, how are we feeling, man? The playoffs, we're getting there. I'm ready to win some goddamn baseball games in October. I mean, obviously I want the White Sox to do well, but one of the things I've said the last few years is that Cubs fans have been complaining during the best era of their team's history. So I am going to make every attempt to enjoy this while it's going on because they weren't supposed to be this good this year. So I'm just going to try to relish in playoff baseball. Being honest, that probably won't happen. I'm going to live and die by every pitch. But man, I am. it's been 12 years my first time in my adult life getting White Sox playoff baseball, and I am just, even in a year I can't go to games, I am, it's hard to put into words how excited I am for October to get here. Can we get you to shave the beard and do a playoff beard? I, yeah, why the hell not? Well, actually, I don't know. I haven't been clean shaven in like a year and a half now, and I don't know if I necessarily want to go all the way down, but we can uh, start with a small base layer. It's going to be all or nothing, Pat. I'm sorry. Uh, but in any case, we're going to end the show like we always do. This is a, pe- a question Pat hasn't heard yet. Uh, Pat, simple as this. We already talked about how the White Sox have the best record in the American League. Are the White Sox the best team in the American League? Uh, no. Uh, it doesn't really pain me to say that either. That's totally fine. But I think at this point, just on paper, if we're talking on paper, I think the A's are better. I think the Rays probably are a better team. And at full health, the Yankees are probably up there too. But... The beauty of baseball is the best team does not usually win. It's whatever team is firing on all cylinders when you get to October. And if this offense is going, I'd stack them up with anybody. You got Chialito and Keuchel 1-2. Game 3 is kind of, hopefully somebody can catch some magic. But I I, I want to say they're the best team in the American League, but if I'm just being as objective as I possibly can, which is extremely difficult to me, so props to me for being the bigger person here. They're third. Not. I mean, I don't. I don't think it's me being a hater saying that either. It's just kind of. I don't know. I think Tampa is just built for a three-game yeah. series. Like, just you know, Glasnow and just the bullpen and I don't know, they're, just they're just too good. 
I hate being this guy too, but they're just a no. smart organization. They like it just it, even though they've only made it to the World Series once, it's just every year I'm like they're gonna know how to do it. Same with Oakland, but they never do. So who I don't know. Baseball playoffs. My biggest philosophy is just who the hell knows what's gonna happen. I mean, sure, you might be the best team, like the White Sox were in 05, but you might also need a phantom drop third strike to keep a playoff series alive. I don't know. It's just one of those things. Yeah, and I love Oakland. That's one of my favorite teams, but I am not ready for if the o- Oakland wins and that everyone is just back to, like, obsessing over Billy Bean. Like, oh, I just, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> I, to my dying day, will always bitch about how Moneyball did not mention uh, Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, or Tim Hudson once. I will never stop complaining about that. Or Miguel That is also true. And like uh, Eric Chavez is like a, pa- a, a like a passing glance. Like, oh yeah, he was pretty good too. Yeah, it's like, no, that was a stacked team, of course. No, but Scott Hatterberg was the MVP. Yeah, exactly. In any case, Pat, thank you again. Uh, this has been another great week of Chicago baseball. Two first place teams. Um, you can listen to this podcast, as you probably already know, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, check out our writing, too, sanchicago.com. Uh, and remember, everyone, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Go Cubs. Go White Sox. Go MLB. Have a great week.